up the road. And I think I counted up, it was, it was, I was gone 38 weeks, but about four of those 38 weeks, I preached at multiple venues and was gone days upon days. And so the Lord said, you invest in your family, prepare for your tent revivals you're going to do in Hot Springs this next year. And so this is the first assignment out of Hot Springs, and I just feel like I'm right back in my niche. This is what God made me to do. Amen. So... So I just, I'm just thankful to be here in, in Heber Springs here at First Assembly and just thank Pastor Brown. Thank you for allowing me to come and partner with you and your hospitality. And boy, I slept good in their house this afternoon. I got a nap. I don't ever get a nap anywhere except when I, except I went to, um, where is it? Um, yes, went there and boy, I crashed there and then I came here. When I come out of Heber Springs, I always get a Sunday afternoon nap. Nowhere else but Heber Springs. So the anointing of God is here. The open heaven is here. If you can't receive from the Lord here, you ain't going to receive from the Lord till you get to heaven. Amen. I would like to get something from the Lord before I get there. Heaven on earth. Demonstration of the kingdom on earth. Amen. And then I just want to say thank you, church, in advance for your giving. I will, I will tell you this. I know um, people get nervous when preachers start talking about money, but I just want to honor you. That last year when I came, that I had never seen such generosity from any church I've ever been to like yours. I was here for two services, and I was just blown away and humbled by what you guys poured out in generosity. And I just want to thank you for that and thank you in advance for your giving. And so God bless you for that. Tonight, we're going to be in the book of Judges, beginning in chapter 14. Judges chapter 14. My daughter, as I mentioned this morning, she's here with me. Gabby, go and give you a princess wave. I didn't say stand, just wave. See, she's always. And this morning, we was sitting, you know, in the pastor's office, kind of walking and praying before I came to the sanctuary. And then I had to, like, I went out and got my, my bag and kind of freshened up and, you know, put my fresh cologne on so y'all wouldn't have to smell my mustiness. And uh, when I came back in the. In the pastor's office, just kind of spend some time praying. My daughter says, the Lord showed me what you're going to preach on this morning. This is what the Lord said your title was. And I'm like, you looked at my notes, didn't you? So she was trying to play a little part. I like she heard from the Lord. And so, so this afternoon, pastor's house, I go to my truck, grab my little travel bag I got, go up, brush my teeth, thank God. When I pray for you tonight, you won't fall out because of bad breath. It'll be the Holy Ghost. And so I brush my teeth, put on fresh stuff, come back down, and I hear her saying, if my dad preaches on Samson, don't be surprised. And if you don't know the last time that I was here on Sunday night, I preached on Samson. How many of y'all remember that? But what you don't know is since that time, about October, November, the Lord began to speak to me again from Samson. And so tonight I want to revisit what we talked about the last time I was here. So Judges chapter 14 Judges chapter 14, the Lord has given fresh revelation. I believe it is even for this house. <clears throat> we'll begin in Judges. Actually, it's through Judges chapter 13, beginning in verse number 24. We'll read a lot of scripture tonight. So if you don't mind standing for the reading of the word. The woman gave birth to a boy named him Samson. He grew it. The Lord blessed him. And the spirit of the Lord began to stir him while he was in Mahanadan. 
between Zorah and Eshtal. And Samson went down to Timnah and saw a young Philistine woman. And when he returned, he said to his father, Mother, I have seen a woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as a wife. His father and mother replied, Don't you know you're supposed to marry a Christian, Samson? Huh? He said, Don't you know? Isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among all your people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? But Samson said to his father, get her for me. She's the right one for me. His parents did not know that it was from the Lord who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines, for at that time they were ruling over Israel. Samson went down to Timnah together with his father and mother, and as they approached the vineyards of Timnah, suddenly a young lion came roaring toward him. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power, so he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. But he neither told his father or mother what he had done. Then he went down and talked with a woman, and he liked her. Sometime later, when he went back to marry her, he turned aside to look at the lion's carcass, and it was a swarm of bees and some honey, which he scooped out with his hands and ate as he went along. And when he rejoined his parents, he gave them some, and they ate it too. But he did not tell them. Listen, you got to hide it. It's wrong. He didn't tell them that he had taken the honey from the lion's carcass. Let's go on to Judges chapter 15, verse number 15. Finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey, he grabbed it and struck down a thousand men. And Samson said, with a jawbone's donkey, I've made donkeys of them. With with the donkey's jawbone, I've killed a thousand men. Judges 16, verse 1 through 4. One day, Samson went to Gaza, where he saw a prostitute. He, spent, he went in to spend the night with her, and the same people of Gaza were told, Samson is here, and they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the city gate. Then they made no move during the night, saying, At dawn we will kill him. But Samson lay there only until the middle of the night. Then he got up, took hold of the doors of the city gate, together with two posts, tore them loose, bar and all. He lifted them to his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. Sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. Now let's go to Judges chapter 16, verse 23. Now the rulers of the Philistines offered to, assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon their God and to celebrate, saying, Our God has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. And when the people saw him, they praised their God, saying, Our God has delivered our enemy into our hands, the one who laid waste our land and multiplied our slain. While they were high in spirits, they shouted, bring out Samson to entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison and performed, and he performed for them. And when they stood among the pillars, Samson said to the servant who held his hand, put me where I can feel the pillars to support the temple so I may lean against them. And now the temple was crowded with men and women. All the rulers of the Philistines were there. And on the roof were about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, O sovereign Lord, remember me. O God, please strengthen me just once more and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Then Samson reached toward the two central pillars on which the temple stood, bracing himself against them. His right hand 
on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, let me die with his Philistines. Then he pushed with all his might. And down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed many more when he died than while he lived. Tonight I want to preach about defeat or destiny revisited. Defeat or destiny revisited. Would you lift your hands towards heaven as a sign of surrender? Father, we come, we receive what you have, and not just to hear the word, not just for it to warm our soul, but God, so that we may hear and we may obey you, our Lord, our master. God, you have a destiny for our lives, for this church tied to the end time harvest. And I pray that, God, we would push aside every obstacle, everything that we have within ourselves for ourselves, that we'd lay that down, that we would come, become obedient to the point of death, not for our own gain, but for the gain of the one who already died for us. So, Father, give us an ear tonight to hear what the Spirit would say to this church. And may they obey it to the fullest. And may you use them to reap a harvest for your name's sake. May as a result of what takes place in these altars tonight, may Jesus receive the reward of his suffering. May Jesus receive the reward of his suffering in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. You may be seated. As I was here last year, the Lord told me in 2018 to take that first part, if you will call it a defeat or destiny, everywhere I went, and the ministry team that, that helps me with the tent revivals, and sometimes they travel with me. The worship leader, her name is Bethany. She says, if I hear about Samson one more time, I said, listen here, Jezebel, you need to repent. <laughs> and then, lo and behold, when 2018 began to wrap up, the Lord began to speak to me again about this. And I found that over the years, God will have me go revisit Revelation. And then I see things that's really even, you know, maybe even things I preached prematurely. I didn't get the whole picture. I mean, no, you go from faith to faith and glory to glory. And, you know, this is one of these words where I have not preached this everywhere I've went. I've preached this one time back in November, and I didn't have the full story then. But the Lord began to re have me revisit Samson. And in case you don't know, Samson, you know, we, you know, it came out last year. It was a movie about Samson, the Sight and Sound Theater. It's still doing a production on Samson. And the way I've heard Samson preached and the way I heard Samson taught my whole life really paint a different picture of Samson than what's in the Bible. Samson forfeited a lot of his God-ordained destiny. He never lived up to his full potential. Yes, there was spiritual victory, but in each one of those victories, you see a degree of compromise. Everybody celebrates the thousand men that are dead as a result of a jawbone of a donkey, but what people don't realize is that a part of his vows in Nazarite, he was not supposed to touch dead corpses or go near them. And here it is, he's picking up a jawbone of a donkey, which is, where does the jawbone of a donkey come from? It comes from a dead donkey. 
scraping the carcass of the lion. He was touching something that was dead. The, the, he couldn't drink wine or eat grapes. And he went to Timna, which is known for its massive wine production. And so all this stuff that he does, there's compromises. And so at the end of his life, instead of showing his long hair as a demonstration, as a manifestation of the gift that's in him, he ends up being bald and becomes blind. And even at the end of his life, when his hair begins to return, when his hair returns, his sign of his consecration as a Nazarite returned. Instead of using it for its purpose, when he prayed to God, he said, God, may I be avenged for my two eyes. Even at the end of his life, he was still focused on himself. Listen, God can even use you while you're disobedient. But you know what? How much more could have God done against the Philistines if Samson would have lived up to his standard and his vow? Listen here, folks. I know that many of you probably already know some of the things I'm about to preach and say in just a minute. But I want you to know this, that not everything that takes place in your life and happens in this earth has been God's will for you. It drives me insane, Pastor Brown, when people say, well, if it will be, it will be. If God wants it to happen, it will happen. I had one brother, he's got a gift, and I think God could open doors for him to go and preach, but he will never go through any type of credentialing process, no type of schooling, nothing to develop his gifting. And he said, if God wanted me on that pulpit, I'd be in that pulpit, but he don't study, he don't pray, he don't fast, he don't do anything. Guess what? You partner with God. Faith without works is dead. If you're not willing to do the work, God can't bless you to put you in a place where he can give you the opportunity to have promotion. Hello, somebody. You're tired of where you're at with your job. Maybe you start sowing extra into what your job requirements are, and maybe God will give you a promotion that maybe your boss won't even be willing to give you. Maybe God will open up a door in another company. Listen here, folks, you have to put the work in. You have to obey God with what he's told you to do. And as New Testament believers, let me tell you, Jesus said that if we don't have a righteousness that exceeds the, the righteousness of the Pharisees, we couldn't even see the kingdom of heaven. And their righteousness was based on the law. And now we're under grace. And a lot of people think because we're under grace that we're not under the law. But you know what? Grace requires more than the law. In the law, you could keep the rules, but under grace, now your heart has to be in it while you keep the rule. Grace doesn't abolish the law. Grace holds you to the law, and now out of love, you keep the law. So here it is with you and like Samson, if you're going to fulfill what God has called you to do, let me just say this as a side note. There is a lot of preaching about what's my destiny and it's what has God got in store for me. And we almost can become selfish in that. And I'm not preaching about that because your destiny is not tied to your house, your car, or your comfort. It's tied to the harvest of souls that are in Heber Springs, Arkansas. So guess what? You fulfilling your destiny might mean demotion before promotion. And so if you're going to fulfill your personal destiny or the destiny that God has for this church, there are things that you have to partner with with what God has laid before you. And so I kind of want us to revisit not only what we shared in previous revelation, but I want to show you what God has shown me on the backside of things. 
Defeat or destiny revisited. As Samson is a Nazarite, he had a standard, a vow to keep. His vow as a Nazarite had three, had three specific standards. And I mentioned them, and I want to just mention them again real briefly. Number one, he could not drink wine or eat of the fruit of the vine. In other words, he couldn't drink wine or eat grapes. Second thing he could not do as a sign of his consecration is he could not touch dead things. The third thing he could not do is he could not cut his hair. And as we'll elaborate more tonight, he did break, I believe, every single one of those standards. And standard number one is one that most look into the word and don't even see the clue that, that Samson could have ever come close to breaking because if you read Judges 14, 15, and 16, nowhere does it say that Samson ever had a drink. But in Judges 14, verse 1, it said he went to Timnah. Timnah was known for its vineyards. It said he went as far as the vineyards of Timnah. And if you do a historical study on Timnah, Timnah was known for its massive wine production. And if you did not live in Timnah, the only reason you went to Timnah is because you wanted to get a drink. And here he goes to Timnah. And although it never says directly that he took a drink or ate grapes, let me tell you, it's a picture of the New Testament church that wants to see how close to the line they can get. And Samson, every other failure starts with this failure of going to Timnah, the place he was never supposed to even get close to. And in Defeat or Destiny, part number one, we talked about the demanding desire and how what really ended Samson started him on his slope of the failure and defeat and not obtaining his destiny is that he would give in to his belly or give in to his appetite. So why were the wine and grapes really a problem? Because in this time, the wine that was in massive production was not even alcoholic. It was just a mass production of grape juice. And what's wrong with eating grapes? I mean, after all, that's healthy for you. Not according to my daughter. She tried to say, well, vegetables are better than fruit, but I'm going to eat my grapes. What's wrong with a grape? I mean, that's better than a Snicker bar. Hello? Better than Reese cups. Lost 60 pounds last year. Don't hand me a, a whole bag of those Christmas Reese cups because I'll eat the whole bag. You know, I know, I know my triggers. Leave me, get away Reese cups. Peanut butter. Eat the whole jar. Two pounds of peanut butter just to watch it die. I'll eat it. Get away from that. Give me, give me, let me eat a jar of peanut butter for a week. I'll have 60 pounds back on. But why the grapes? I mean, you know, I begin to think about this, and the Lord began to speak to me about Samson and him giving himself to that. And even when he went by the carcass of the lion and he reached and he grabbed that honey, it was driven by his appetite. And there's nothing wrong with honey. There's nothing wrong with the grapes. There was nothing wrong with the grape juice. What is the big deal with God giving them that as a standard? And I begin to think, which can be dangerous sometimes. And I begin to pray, which is very good and can be dangerous for the kingdom of darkness. And the Lord began to give me these thoughts. Here as American believers, because I've learned a lot about health this last year and food. And I see food as fuel, not just something to be enjoyed. And I begin to think about when I would travel and go somewhere to preach and be on my way home. 
And I think, man, I'm hungry. I wasn't really hungry. I just wanted something to fill my appetite. And I whip into McDonald's, because you know that's the best choice to make. <laughs> Hardy's, because you know they got them greasy cheeseburgers you can throw some bacon on and jalapenos and Hello, somebody. Some of y'all showing your backslidden ways with food. Hallelujah. And I begin to think about it. You got combo number one. Combo number two. Combo number three. Them 10-piece nuggets. Then they had the 20-piece nuggets you get for five bucks. Oh, yeah, give me that and a small fry or a large Dr. Pepper, and I'm going to town. There ain't nothing good at them places. But we've all eaten there. You don't need that double cheeseburger. It's not a necessity for you. You don't need those fries. But what were those things you had me eat this afternoon? You don't know? They got pretzel. It's got a Rolo candy bar on it with a, with a pecan on top. Did it taste good? Yes. But over the long term about looking at, if you look at food as fuel, that's not a necessity. That number one at McDonald's is not a necessity. Most of the things that we eat and we have craving for, we don't have a necessity for. But the reason why we get those things is because we're not driven to get what we need. We are driven by our preference. And in the body of Christ, our relationship with God even, we are more accustomed to what we want for our preference than we are his presence. Think about your devotional life. I heard a professor says, every morning I go on the porch and I got to have coffee with Jesus. Sit my coffee, read a little bit of Bible. What if the Lord didn't want you to have coffee and wanted you to fast and pray and get on your face, but we're so accustomed to our preference? Sunday morning churches in America going to start at 11 o'clock sharp and end at 12 dull. Why? Because preachers tell me, we got to be respectful of people's time, brother. Is it about your preference for your people or is it about his presence? Because I know he can come in five minutes. But if he don't come in five minutes, I'm going to wait ten minutes. And if ten minutes can't get the job done, I'm going to wait twenty minutes. And if they don't get the job done, I'll wait sixty-five minutes. And they don't get the job done, listen, in our ten revivals, we are there for two and a half hours. Why? Because we don't want to leave until we know we've met with him preference or presence people will argue over the carpet why because it's about people's preference and the churches that argue over the carpet never go forward why because they forgot it being about presence and made it about preference my lord brother y'all done hung a trampoline up sideways on the wall and now we went from singing on the book we don't sing off the wall we sing off the trampoline <laughs> sounds silly people have said it thought it because it's not their pres their preference. They worried about their preference, not his presence. That church that I preached at in Africa, first tree assembly of God. There's no chairs. There's no building. There's not even a tent. There's nothing to block you from the sun. They're out there worshiping God. Why? Because it's not about the preference. It's about the presence. Think about this in this revival meetings. 
How many people can say that in a normal week, work week, it really meets your preference to have another thing to do in the week? But it's not about our preference, having another night off. What are you going to do on your night off? You're going to go home, take off your shoes, drink your sweet tea and your double cheeseburger and fries. And you're going to veg out on Netflix for three or four hours. But yet it seems like a burdensome thing that goes against your preference to come in the presence of God for two or three hours. Listen here, it goes, listen, if you're going to achieve your destiny in God, you're going to learn, have to learn that you can't sleep in like you've always, to sleep into the last minute that you can to get up to go to work. You might have to get up earlier and pray first thing in the morning. You're going to find out that your preference of always eating three meals a day may not be in the agenda of Jesus. He's going to be in the call of you to fast. And instead of eating breakfast in the mornings, you're going to fast breakfast and pray. And then the next thing you know, he's going to ask you to give up lunch. And lo and behold, that's the day they do the reward dinner and bring you a steak at work. But Jesus said to fast and pray. What do you want? The preference of the steak or the presence of God? Listen here, folks, if we are going to see a move of God in America, what is going to happen first is we get rid of our preferences as long as it makes sure that we bring the presence of God. We have to say no to our preference. If you can say no to your preference, the presence will come. What is your preference? There are people that will not let me in their pulpit Unless I got this on. It's their preference. Maybe Don't worry, I ain't doing nothing else, Pastor. Because you know he's getting nervous. I know of a lady at a church that had a fit because the youth pastor. And I'm not saying we shouldn't come dressed in a certain way as ministers. Youth pastor showed up on Wednesday night, preached in shorts. Woman had a fit, but the presence of God was being poured out in a youth service. And kids encountered the presence of God. I don't care how it comes. I don't care if it comes through my preference or your preference. As long as it's Jesus, I want it. And for us to reach what God wants us to reach and to have what God wants us to have and do, we have got to say no to our preference. The feet or destiny, preference, preference, preference. So Samson, he said yes to the wine and the grapes, but then there's something else that he did. When he went to Timnah, he caught Something caught his eye. Somebody said, mm-hmm, somebody knows where we're going with this. It's always a woman to blame. I think there was a song about that. I wouldn't always sanctify, and Daddy wouldn't either, and he listened to that old country bumpkin music. There's a woman to blame. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. But really, it wasn't the woman to blame. It was never Eve. Adam had the chance to be a savior, and Samson could have said no. And Samson sees the Philistine woman and he says, Mama and Daddy, get her for me. She's the right one for me. But the scripture clearly says 
that the people of God were not to intermarry, not because of the color of skin, but because of the content of character. You should not marry an unbeliever, young people. And if you're in a dating relationship as an adult now, you're thinking about getting married, if they're not on fire for Jesus, I don't care if they say they know Jesus, if they're not on fire for Jesus, they're not the one for you. If they're not on fire for Jesus, I would be going to say that maybe they're not even saved. Steve Hill used to preach that the lukewarm believer and the heathen would go to the same place. And what does Jesus say about the lukewarm church? I'll spew you out of my mouth on the day of judgment. That's rejection. That's not in the sermon notes because I don't have any, but that's just for you for free tonight. But here Samson's with this Philistine woman. He has a desire for her. And because he married somebody he wasn't supposed to marry, guess what happens? That doesn't work out. And then the next relationship you see him in is with a harlot. That doesn't work out. And then he has Delilah, and Delilah's the one that got his gift. And the Lord began to speak to me because you know, Delilah represents lust in the pool of sexual sin, and that is running rampant in the church. And I felt like the Lord was beginning to speak to me, and I don't have a message to preach to you specifically about that. But let me tell you what is killing our churches is coming and sitting and being okay with normal Christian experience and being able to go home at night and watch pornography and sleep around our spouse and act like it's all okay because we're under grace. So that's what Delilah brought in. It stripped him of his gift. And the many ministers and churches are being stripped of the power of God because of the secret immorality called pornography that's so easily hidden. It's not just men, it's women. But what does the Lord want to say to us in this revisit, this defeat or destiny revisited? And I said, Lord, what are you trying to speak here? I feel a stirring. And the Lord says, you have to be careful which bride you marry. Now, I know that may sound like what you think. Okay, you just said we need, young people need to be careful who they marry. But that's not what the Lord was saying. Pastor Lee, I hope nobody runs off and leaves this church because you have a good church and you're a man of God. But let me tell you what, people will church hop and treat, treat going to church like they treated dating as a teenager. And what you got to realize is the Lord began to say this, you have to know which bride you are called to marry. This is a body of Christ. This is a house. And it's not to be treated like a one-night stand because God wants you to marry a specific body and hear the word of the Lord and know that God's called you here. And no matter what happens against your preference, that God called you here and you're married to this church. My, you will never reach your destiny outside of a local assembly. God may call you. God may shift things. God may call your pastor to move. And he knows he's thinking right now, I hope that doesn't happen because I just built this house. I don't want to move. And there's sometimes God shifts us. But how many times, Pastor Brown, has people come to you and say, well, I just feel like the Lord is moving us on. And just three months earlier, they left one church and came to yours. Listen, that's hypocrisy. We go, it's just like dating. You go with this girl, and yeah, you had intimacy with this girl, and then she got old, and you don't have no commitment, and you just go on to the next one. Do you think the Lord is pleased with that? What the Lord wants us to see is that when we come to church, we find a church home to make covenant with, and you have to be careful who you make covenant with. 
Because it is very hurtful when you're a part of a church for a while and then something happens and the divorce or a split happens. And guess what happens? When covenant is broken, it does something to you, but you're never quite the same again. My God, listen here tonight. If you're thinking about leaving, you need to ask yourself why you even made yourself a part of this church to begin with. And if you don't know this is the church you're supposed to be with, then guess what you need to do? You need to go into the place of fasting and prayer and ask God, is this the bride that I'm supposed to marry? You don't marry the bride based on how she looks. You don't marry the bride based on your own preference. We need to teach our young people to have an ear to hear the voice of God that when they see a young man or a young woman that does appeal to their preference, that they have enough of the Spirit of God and obedience to the things of God, that when God says no, they say no. And when God says yes, they put a ring on it, and that's the end of the story. Same thing with the church. What church are you called to? It's not just what church you called to come and sit in. Sit, sit. Believers, all they do is sit. We can't even get them to pick up a piece of trash that we see in the hallway on Sunday morning. You're called to do the work of the ministry. And just like marriage is work, when you marry this body, there's work to be done. There is work to be done. It is not enough for us to keep coming and sitting, admiring the bride, having the pastor tell us what we want to hear. It's time for us to roll up our sleeves and say, Pastor, we're going to give out some, some turkeys at Thanksgiving. I'm there. Pastor, we need to do an Easter egg outreach. I'm there. Pastor, we need to go knock on some doors. I'm there. I don't know what the outreach is, but whenever there's something going on that you would push aside your agenda, push aside your schedule, push aside your preference, and do what your bride is doing for the kingdom. I've been married 16 years. This past March the 15th, I've come a long way and got a long ways to go. And I've learned a thing or two that sometimes I remember when I first started traveling, people said, well, you do all week and you're not working. I said, I go in my office for eight hours a day, and I get on my face, and I don't get up for eight hours, and I pray, and I seek God. But then mama would come home, and I ain't done nothing at the house. God, me and God were cool, but me and mama were not. So you know what I had to learn? I, instead of praying eight hours, I had to pray for six and do a little laundry. When there's an unsettling, and you realize you've damaged the one you've hurt, when there's work to be done, you, you make arrangements for the one that you're married to. Look here, they sold in the book of Acts everything that they had and gave it for the furtherance of the God. They sold their house and gave, all, they, gave their, they gave lands for the gospel. Why? Because they realized what they were married to. What are you married to here in Heber Springs? And if God's got a personal destiny for you, maybe you're called to travel, you'll never begin to launch out as a traveling minister or a pastor of another church until you're committed to the one you're married here. Defeat or destiny. Anybody receiving from the Lord tonight? And there's some people that just hear what I say, and they've been thinking about, well, maybe I should leave. And they say, well, that's just a sign that I should leave. No, it's a sign you should really fast and pray instead of being moved by your preference and your grievances against your minister. If you think he's wrong, then what you need to do is go into the place of prayer and turn your criticisms into intercession, and either God will move upon his heart or he will change yours. 
to fate or destiny. Be careful what bride you marry. The next thing the Lord began to show me tonight, or earlier, a couple months ago, is that when Samson left Timnah, he saw the woman. They plans to marry her. You know, he, when he's on the way to Timnah, he killed the lion. On the way back, he saw the lion with the honey inside the carcass. And there was something else inside the carcass besides the sweet honey. I better get a drink before I get down. I, feel, I can tell I ain't preached consistently night after night in a while because I feel my voice trying to go. I bind that in Jesus' name. There's bees inside the carcass with the honey. And I'm just thinking about time after time when he reached inside that carcass. He was getting that which was sweet inside of that which was dead. But you know, if you ever dealt with getting some honey, you better have some equipment on. I'm just thinking every time he scraped that carcass, there was a pop on his hand. Time and time and time again. But he ignored the prick. He ignored the pain. He just kept reaching in and reaching in and reaching in. And some of you, the reason why you're called to the nations, you hadn't even made a step forward in going to that. Because every time you find yourself reaching in for the same old sin, time and time again, you ignore the warning of the Holy Spirit's conviction. God always sends a warning before you go too far. At this point, Samson's been to Timnah, saw a woman he shouldn't have ever even thought about being with, and now he's at a point where he's about to once again break another vow by touching something that is dead, and he reaches in to something he's not supposed to touch, and what he feels is a sting. It's a war. The Holy Spirit, when he deals with your heart, it's like a sting. But time and time again, my God. You know you shouldn't click and watch. There's a sting. But you reach in and get the honey anyway. You once again have the syringe and the needle going into your arm. And you feel the sting. Sunday morning, decide to go to the lake. Instead of coming to the house of God, you reach in for something sweet. And you feel the sting, but you ignore it. And when I can just see those stings on Samson's hand, you know you can get popped so many times until you become none and you don't feel any pain at all. How many times has you felt the sting and the conviction about that one thing that you know you need to confess to your spouse? The one thing you know you need to confess to your pastor? And I know I'm preaching to a Sunday night crowd, but what could God really do if we really was transparent about the honey we continue to go back time and time again and reach in and grab and we've ignored the sting? Could it be that tonight the reason why revival hasn't hit Heber Springs is because we as a people of God have ignored the 
this thing. And the reason we don't feel anything in God's presence is because our conscience has been seared because we said no one too many times. And the reason God has me here talking about your destiny as a church and as an individual, could it be that God is giving you one more moment of feeling to know that you need to get the sin out before it's too late and you're too far gone? If we as a people of God and the Sunday night crowd is usually the remnant of God, if we are not righteous, if we do not get the sin out, if we do not live holy, then who will? What was the last thing that you told God no, you would not do? I am convinced that you will never advance in your relationship, God, past the last command that you said no to. Think about the call to preach you said no to. Think about the call to serve in the nursery that you said no to. Think about the call where you were just going to get up early and do nothing but pray for your pastor, but yet your preference gets in the way and the you said no and you wonder why you feel numb and the presence of God can't be there. That coworker that you need to share Jesus with and the Holy Spirit tells you, and you said no, and you wonder why you don't feel God anymore. Listen, folks, I'm not preaching legalism, and I'm not thinking that God's so hard, he's ready to beat us over the head, but he means serious business with obeying his commands. Think about the numbness. Think about the distance you feel. It's because you kept reaching in and getting what was sweet. And you ignored the conviction until you've went numb. Church, until repentance hits God's people, we can have revival services, but we will never see revival. Defeat. That's a good way to end up in defeat is ignore this thing. Or if you say yes, you'll reach your destiny. The fourth thing I want to give you tonight in this revisiting of defeat or destiny is Samson had a call. He had a gift. Everybody lift your hand right now. Lift one hand. Take the other hand and point at yourself. And say, I have a gift. Say it again. I have a gift. You can put your hand down. Every believer in here, God has given you something to impart to the world. Samson had great strength. That strength came not naturally, but supernaturally. And every time... Almost every time you see him use his gift, he used his gift for himself. God can deposit things in you because the gifts and the call of God are without repentance. Remember that, Gabby, my daughter, she's gifted, she's anointed, she feels called to be an evangelist. And I believe that. You have a gift, you have a call, but guess what? And God will never take that away from you, but you can use it on yourself. And what happens is when you begin to use your gift on 
yourself, it undermines your full potential. Whitney Houston had a call to sing for the gospel. Look at her life and how it ended. That's what happens when you use your gift for yourself. Elvis Presley. That's what happens when you use your gift for yourself. I don't like naming preachers that have fallen. But you know some that have fallen over the years. That's what happens when you begin to use your gift for yourself. Maybe you have a gift to sing, but you still go in the honky-tonk on Saturday night. Watch out. It's detrimental to use your gift for yourself. Church, many of you have a gift and you're not using it for the Lord or even for yourself. You're like the guy in the parable of the talents that was given one talent. And talent doesn't mean gift. Talent means money. But you know what? It was still given to him. I got a brother that is prophetic in a way that I have never seen personally. He was prophetic before he even knew what the word prophesy was. And because of some woundedness, and some mishandling of some elders of his gift and not fathering him. He don't know how to handle the wound. And you know what right now? He's doing nothing with his gift. He's not using any of his gift. He's buried the gift. And you may say, I can't sing, I can't preach, but you can do something, you're alive. And when you use your gift... Whether you use the gift for selfishness or hide it to keep from getting hurt, that is selfishness. It undermines your destiny. It leaves you blind. It leaves you naked. It leaves you miserable. All these things, you have a preference. You're called to marry this bride, but you haven't fully committed You've reached in for your favorite sin time and time again. And then you have your gift that you're just doing nothing with. And you wonder why you feel like Samson. Because Samson became a grinder. Just going in circles. Your life, you feel like your life is just going in circles. You're accomplishing nothing. Why? Because you failed to marry the body. You've given it to your preference. You're still feasting on your secret sin. You're not using your gift for that which it has been given. There are people here tonight. Maybe all of us tonight need repentance. Because there's people here, you're more inclined to your preference. You haven't committed to this church. You have still, even tonight you're thinking, if I could just take one more drink off the bottle, one more look at pornography, you've got things planned out, all rained events, one more taste. Hiding your gift. You need to repent. 
Because Samson could have had his destiny restored even after his eyes were gouged out. When Samson as a Nazarite failed, the key to his restoration was number one, he was supposed to already have shaved his own head as a sign of repentance. But the second thing that he did, needed to do to fulfill his destiny was to find a lamb that was pure and spotless and kill it. Let me tell you, I don't care what you've done or what you're doing to undermine your destiny. Your destiny in the Lord is always fulfilled through the cross. It's always in Jesus entering into your destiny any other way. will end in defeat. It's always through Jesus. When you keep your eyes on Jesus, when you're pushing towards the cross, when you're pushing towards Jesus, when Jesus is your aim, your preference does not matter. When you're pushing towards Jesus, no matter how sweet the secret sin is, you don't want to reach in because you're in love with Jesus. Jesus loves this church and I believe because you're here tonight in Heber Springs, I almost said hot springs, Heber Springs, Arkansas, God's called you to marry this bride and you'll say yes if you're in love with him. And regardless of your insecurities and the way you're trying to handle your gift, if you're in love with Jesus, that love will help you overcome all fear that you have in stepping out and using your gift. And listen, if we're going to see an end-time harvest, it's going to take all of us giving ourselves and falling in love with the one who already loves us relentlessly. Church, would you stand with me tonight? I didn't preach very long tonight. That's rare. Tonight, already, these altars are open. I don't feel like I'm supposed to give a specific altar call for things. But Brother Shane, if you want to go ahead and come, come on. But here you go. These altars are already open. This morning, I felt stuck. I could not move forward with the service, really. Didn't really know what to do. I was just stuck. I've never been just stuck in the altar service. And I felt like the Lord was saying, just linger, just linger. And then your pastor this evening, we were talking about what the, he feels like the Lord was saying to this church when we got is just to linger. The way the Lord spoke it to me about our tent revivals is to host the presence. And when you host the presence, it causes you to fall in love with Jesus. And in this moment, the rest of this service, I may not pray for a single individual, but you know what you're going to do at this altar? Because the altar is not just for the unbeliever. It's for the believer to have fresh encounter. This is a place for you to experience Jesus. You shouldn't be waiting for me to tell you to come. These altars are already open. I want us to come and wait for Jesus. I want us to be with Jesus. I want us to see his face and linger with him. And if you keep reaching, being one of those ones reaching in for your secret sin, this altar can be repentance for you. If you're one of those ones that's hidden your gift, come and repent and go to your pastor and say, hold me accountable. That's what I did when I was called to preach. I was hiding my gift, running for my call. I finally answered that call. My pastor said, don't let me run. Preached my first sermon on Easter Sunday night, year 2000. Go. Encounter. 
repentance, surrender. Maybe some of you need to go to your pastor and repent 